This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for being a part today. Look, I, here's what I know. You could have chose to be anywhere today, but you, you're here, and I just want you to know it's a privilege, so thank you so much, and thanks for joining in online. So if, if uh, this is your first time with us, let me just kind of recap. Just the last couple weeks, we're in this series called Imagine. So if you were here the first week, um, I invited you to just imagine the end of life. Now, I know that like a lot of people we, you know, might not, something might not even be comfortable with going like, okay, like I'm going to die, or you think of dying and death, and you go like, you know, <laughs> I don't, I'm not there. I had a family member one time who, who um, hated the word death or dying. So we said, okay, how about when you expire? And uh, that, wasn't, that, that was no good either. So uh, however you frame it, the reality is like we're going to die, right? Okay, okay, so... What a way to start a service, right? Like, you're going to die, I'm going to die. Well, the truth is, that's what we talked about. Just kind of imagine the end of life. And some believe that when your physical life is over, guess what? That's just it, right? End of game. We're just physical matter, and you just stop existing, and you go into no. But we don't believe that, do we? So we believe that, that we're made up of body and soul. It's kind of interesting, because even this morning, um, I was in my devotions, and I was reading in, in Genesis 35, and Rachel, um, she is dying. But listen to this. Do not fear, uh, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying. You see, we're made up of body and soul. So we kind of imagine for just a moment what, what it's going to be like at the end of, end of life. And here's what we talked about. At the end of life for the follower of Jesus is Jesus. And that's good news. And that's hope. And that's what we're talking about. And then the second week, we kind of imagine a life of peace. And if you were here, here's what we talked about. Jesus is our peace beyond our circumstance any circumstance we might find ourselves in, um, in every moment of our life, every second in every moment, and also he's our peace beyond our understanding. And so here's the reality. When Jesus is your peace and when Jesus is your hope, you have a story to tell. Now, for some of us, we kind of fall into this trap, right? So, well, I really don't have a testimony. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Like, oh, I don't really have a story. You got to be kidding me. I like, I, you know, I didn't do anything really, really bad or anything really, really wrong. And boy, he has a story. She has a story. And he came out of this and she came out of that. So that's a story. No, that is not the story. That's a redeemed life like you and me. So um, regardless of your journey in all of light. The fact is, and the Bible says, like, you, you were born into sin. I was born into sin. At some point in our life, if you're a follower of Jesus, you came to that point of need, and you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? Yes? And so you went from being this person to this person. You went from being a person without any hope for eternity to a person with hope, and that's your story, and that's what I want to talk about today for just a, a little bit. And have you imagine with me um, something that I'll introduce to you in a second. But first, this. You know what this is? Okay, it's a what? It's a Pez dispenser. There you go right there. Let me tell you a little bit about Pez. You know when, um, so it's an Austrian company. Do you know that Pez was founded in what year? Are you ready? Like, I know for some of us think that candy, like, is, like, old. It's got to be old. Uh, 1927. 
Now, I know, 1927, Pez, Pez dispensers. Some of you have a Pez collection, don't you? I met someone today who did, and some of you have thrown away your Pez uh, collection, and maybe you're going to wish you hadn't when I tell you some fun facts in just, just a moment. Um, yeah, so um, I saw a Pez collection, um, or Pez dispensers, a lot of them selling for $1,000 each. Can you believe that? You know what the most expensive Pez dispenser ever sold was? How much? Want to guess? Yeah, you never know. $13,000 for a Pez dispenser. You know what it was? It was like, the, it was a political uh, thing. It was a donkey. And so it sold for over $13,000. And believe it or not, this Pez dispenser has everything to do with what I want to talk to you about today and has everything to do with Christmas. In fact, uh, Christmas Pez dispensers, particularly Santa Claus, are the most popular ones. So there you go. It's kind of cheesy, but kind of hang on to it. The reality is this. It's, it's, it's hard to survive without hope, and maybe you, you have been there. Um, if you feel hopeless in life, what does a person do? Well, what many, many people do is they begin searching for things, right? So I feel hopeless, so I go on a shopping spree, right? Because that's going to, like, help. I feel hopeless, and so I put my trust and my security in something like this right here, and maybe it's your portfolio or whatever. Where it, we, we look for things that we can take a hold of and grab a hold of something that we can experience and something that we can see because like this is our hope and we hang tightly on to it. Some of you have experienced hanging on to something and then losing it because without this hope, there's, there's no future. We make decisions based on a false premise, what we can see, what we can get our hands on and what we can hang on to. So here's our, here's our hope right here. It's interesting because in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, Paul says this, Now hope that is seen is not hope. So I'd like for you to think about that for just a second. Hope that is seen is not hope. So if you're that person and you're putting all of your hope and your trust in what you can see and what you can kind of like gain in life, like this is my hope, this is why I trust. Paul says that's, that's not hope. Hope that is seen, that's not the hope that we're talking about. The hope that we're talking about is what every follower of Jesus anticipates, and that's an eternity with Jesus that comes at the end of this human life. I've said it this way before, and I'll say it again. You never really die. You really, you don't. No one really dies at all. We just go from this human existence into something else, and our hope as a follower of Jesus is that we will be with him for, for, for eternity. This hope, Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Here's the reality. As followers of Jesus, right, this hope that becomes a part of us through his work in us, we abound bound in hope. And in just a moment, we're going to see that that's what people see in you and me. So we are dispensers of hope. It's like this dumb little Pez dispenser. That's what we're talking about today. We who live with this hope dispense hope 
through our words, our action, and by seizing the opportunities that come along our way. And now some of us are going to be like, well, like what opportunities are you talking about? Well, you're alive, and you're breathing right now, and you're going to walk out of this place, and you're going to go out into the world, and I will guarantee that there's going to be opportunities out there wherever you go to be a dispenser of the hope that lives in you. We go into all of the world, locally and globally. Some years ago, um, our team came together, and we began to think through what, our, what we call our outside message. So what is our outside message as a faith community here in this part of, of the county and this part of the world? What's our outside message different than our inside message? And here, here's what we came up with. Our outside message is this, to experience community, find hope. So you're looking for community, you can experience community here because I pray that there'll be people here regardless of who you are, what your journey has taken you through, wherever you are now. You can experience a community that's going to love you and care for you regardless because Jesus calls us to do that. So experience community and then find hope. You can find hope. Now, here's what we're saying. Um, the hope that you find is not found in the things that we do. Let me explain. We serve out the back kitchen over here thousands of meals every year. I mean, there's a team that comes together. They, they serve, serve thousands of meals out the back door. Um, we have a severe weather shelter where we provide a place for people to come. And for at least some hours, they get a place of safety and, and a place of hopefully physical, physical peace. Um, but that's not the hope that we're talking about. The hope that we have to offer is only found in Jesus that's what we offer. That's what we talk about. The hope that we invite people to experience is based on a person, and his name is Jesus, the one who satisfies our hunger and meets our deepest need. So when we talk about experience, find hope. What we're saying is you can experience community, find Jesus, because he is our, is our hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This born-again experience has, of course, nothing to do with the physical birth. We know that. But the New Testament usage of this word or, or phrase or spiritual birth refers to this radical change in who we are. We're reborn, so we were this person, now we're this person. We're reborn, or we're, we're made new, and this new birth that we experience results in this living hope that you and I have with, that we live with, this through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's a day coming when we will be with Him in eternity, and that's hope. Do you know that people today are hungry for a hope beyond themselves, especially during the times that we live in. Have you noticed? People are hungry for this hope that you and I have, especially during these times. In the Washington, uh, uh, Wall Street Journal this past week, there was an article about, about younger people who are drawing up wills because they know that life is going, going to end. I mean, this life is over at some point. We get to share as followers of Jesus this hope that lives in us, what he has done in us. And I say it this way, people can see that hope. People can sense that hope. They may not come up to you and go like, like I see hope in you. 
They may not say it that way, but they might say it this way, right? Why are you so happy? Why, why do you seem to be at peace right now when there's so much going on? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. People can see this hope in you, and they can see it in my. Now, it's easy to read that scripture, and if we don't understand the context as being written, I think we we miss something really, really important. Here's what's happening, and it's on the rise, and it's the persecution of the church when Peter is writing. He's encouraging Christians to face persecution or face what's going on in your life in such a way that the true grace of Jesus Christ would be evidence in them. So here's what he would say to you and me, that regardless of what you're walking through right now, regardless of the circumstance, you might be that person without a job. You might be that person like you don't know, you know, um, where the next meal is going to come from. You might be that person. You might be that person who, who is walking through suffering, which you might call persecution. But, Jesus, but, but Peter says, like, let the evidence of who Jesus is in your life be seen being known by others. Let me show you a picture of what it likely looked like during the day. You can see Christians huddled over here and the wild animals getting ready to feed on the believers. That's persecution there. I've shared with you, I'll share it again. Um, Dave and I stood in the in a remains of a cathedral where this happened. And uh, the story, history shows the story that Christians sang songs of the church prior to being fed to, to wild animals. And it's in that setting that we read that scripture. This new birth gives a living hope to all living in persecution. And this new behavior is required to demonstrate the grace of God to an unbelieving and a hostile world. That's what we're called into. We're to live out our life this way. In your world and in mine, our behavior, how we act and how we react, in our new life in Jesus, our hope provides opportunities to be dispensers of hope. So here's what I want to talk to you about for just the next few moments. Jesus wants to use you and me to be dispensers of hope. Now, I'd like for you to think for the next few moments of your life and where you are right now. So what setting are you in? What home are you in? What's your workplace like? What's your neighborhood like? And begin to think of it this way. Jesus has called me here to be a dispenser, if you will, of the hope that lies in me. The hope being Jesus, right, who has given you a brand new life, who is our hope, my hope, your hope, and it's the hope of the world. There's a story in the Bible that I want to share with you, and it's probably one that that most will recognize. Some new to the Bible, maybe it will be the very, very first time, but you recognize the the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right, and the feeding of the 4,000. So two different events, feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew and Mark, but the feeding of the 5,000, interesting enough, was so important that every gospel writer included it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. This miracle the of the 5,000. And, and, and I want to read it to you. I want to share it with you because I want you to see it through a different lens maybe than you, you ever had before. And I want you to insert yourself into the story. And then I'm going to share with you, um, I'm going to go kind of quickly, seven observations of this story and then five lessons for us to take 
today. I know that's a, that's a boatload, but um, I hope that you can grab something. Okay, John chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. Just listen to it. It'll also come up on the screen. After Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Why was the crowd following him? They saw signs, right? Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? I, I love this about Jesus, right? Um, um, as I think he's kind of going wink, wink here. Um, where would, he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, this is a large crowd. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 um, is significant, and there's something here for you and for me. It was a significant moment, different than the 4,000 that I had already mentioned. So I want to give you seven observations. Are you ready? They're going to go kind of quick. Number one, this was a huge crowd. So um, this, is, this is not like, let's feed a dozen people. This was a huge crowd that has assembled. And we read in John, a crowd of 5,000, right? But we know it was bigger than that. Likely more like maybe 20,000, 15,000, 20,000, because it just was counting the, the men. And so the, the women and the children were also there. So some, some figure it was probably more like 20,000 people. In fact, um, Matthew's account of this same story says this, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So add everybody together, probably a crowd of around 20,000 20, or so. It's a huge task. Um, think of it this way, this, this huge crowd. The Tacoma Dome, I looked it up, seats 23,000 people. So if you've been there, just think that the Tacoma Dome, full of people, right? And you're going to feed them. That's a lot of people. That's the first observation. The second observation is the first reaction of the disciples um, to send the crowd away. Now, that's what we read in Matthew's account of this miracle. Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. Now, when evening was come, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is over. Send the crowds away. In other words, they're hungry, they're in need. Send them away, get rid of them. That was their first reaction. We're going to see in just a moment um, kind of some lessons here, that that sometimes might even be our reaction to what Jesus is asking us to do. It was a natural but human response. Um, we can't do this, Jesus. 
In other words, uh, we don't have enough to offer here. So not, not me this time around. That was the first reaction. Third observation is Jesus' plan all along was to work through the disciples. That was his plan all along. Remember his question to Philip? Now, I'm sure in, 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 in that moment that Philip was trying to look away, but Jesus snagged him and called him because I'm sure that just like you and me, like if you, get, if you think Jesus is going to ask you a question, we're going to look the other way and just please don't, don't ask me the question. But he, he snags Philip and, and he, he asks him. And here's, here's what we know. The question was, where are we going to buy the bread so these people can eat? But Jesus knew all along what he was going to do. Philip, trying his best to avoid eye contact, says, what are we going to do? Philip didn't do so well on his test because here's what he does. He immediately goes to what resources they do not have and the impossible situation that they're in. So here's this huge crowd. They're in need. We don't have the resources. This is impossible. He immediately goes to the resources that they have. In fact, he says this, 200 denarii would not even provide a little bread. And from Mark's account, it says this, it would take a half a year's wages. So just figure what your half a year wages would be. That's how much it's going to take. The next observation has to do with Andrew, who tosses Philip under the bus, so to speak, because he says this, here's, here's a boy, but he only has five loaves and two fishes. And what happens here? You see it in Andrew's question when he says, but what are they for so many? And suddenly we begin to look at this situation through human eyes. Like Jesus, this is all we have right here. This is it. So what can we do? It doesn't feel like that we can do anything. And then Jesus, testing them, says this, just have the people sit down and the disciples watch the divine at work. Because what he did, he distributed, as we read in this story, right, enough food so that everyone ate until they were satisfied, satisfaction. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss out... Um, Five lessons for us, okay? Here we go. Number one, people are hungry today. Maybe you've noticed that. For something or someone who can offer hope. There are people in your life and people in my life, people in our world, who have done this, where they've reached out to grab a hold of something that would offer hope, and it's disappeared. People are hungry for hope today, for something or someone that can offer hope. I read an article in reference to the UK, but I think it's, I would suggest that it's probably true around the world. Um, Google revealed that terms such as hope, hug, and prayer reached a record high in the UK. Here's what the author of the article wrote. We walked into a world that was totally unlike anything that had ever happened. All of the things that we trusted, we were to grab a hold of, all the things that they put security in, right? All of a sudden, everything is shaken, and you start to ask the big questions, what can I hope in? What can I have security in? You feel hopeless. You kind of feel, I'm not sure where to go. 
And I think that's the description of the world that you and I live in, wherever we are. There are people today who are hungry for something that offers hope or someone that offers hope. What can I have security in? What can I hope in? People are hungry today. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is this. Jesus places us, you and me, in the right place at the right time. So here's our life for you to do. Start thinking about your world. Start thinking about your day tomorrow, the rest of the day today, that you're in the right place at the right time. That might be your trip to the store. That might be your, your time spent in the local coffee wherever you go. Um, that might be the errand that you're running. What happens if we begin to look at life through that lens that Jesus has placed me here at the right time and in the right place? And we begin to see our life that way. Because if people see this hope that's in you and me, we have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to live out this life in such a way that people will seek what you have and seek what I have, this person of Jesus Christ. It was interesting. Um, it was in Africa and talking with one of our, our partners there and uh, fellowing. And some of you have met her because we, we have had her here. And she was telling us about the day when she was on her way to the girls' school, which you have helped support. And um, she was stopped just as she was leaving the house. It turned into a four-hour discussion. But here's, here's what so impacted me and I was so impressed with. She saw that as part of Jesus interrupting her life for this person. So what if we see our lives that way? Um, not as disruption, but maybe God interrupting our lives, we're in the right place at the right time to be dispensers of hope. Thirdly, we have all that we need. We have hope in, in Jesus. Sometimes a lot of us begin to feel like if I could do this or if I could do that, if I could whatever, 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 then I could do what Jesus has asked me to do. No, he just asks us to trust in him. You have all that you need. I have all that I need. We have all that we need, hope in Jesus. It's your story. It's what Jesus has done for you. It's your story. Jesus is your hope, and Jesus is our story. No follower of Jesus has nothing to offer. You have everything because you have him. We have Jesus. Mark Pearson, who was lead pastor before me, used to say it this way, when Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you need. And that is true. Number four, we are learned to walk in obedience and the results are up to him. I don't know, have you ever tried to force hope on somebody? Have you, have you ever tried like to force that person into a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you have we just need to step back and be obedient to him and leave the results to him. Some who ate that day that we just read about that story, I'm sure we're thankful. Some I'm sure we're not. The disciples walked in obedience, and that's what you and I are to do. Bill Bright on evangelism said this, successful evangelism or the um, sharing of your story is taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. 
I think that definition for success applies to any ministry and is in the power of the Spirit that we do our work. And we leave the results to Him. Maybe some of us, I don't know, need to kind of step back and just walk in obedience to Him. We're in the right place at the right time. And then lastly, Jesus sometimes often calls us to do what we feel is impossible. If you were to put yourself right back into that story, I think every one of us likely would go like, this is impossible, yes? I mean, I would. And Have you ever been in a place where you feel like Jesus has called you to do something impossible? I think that's how he works. Because then it's not you and it's not me, it's him. He often calls us to do what we feel like is impossible. So if you look at that story, through the lens of your own life, what do you think Jesus is saying to you today? Maybe it looks like the 5,000. Maybe you've been that person who said, like, I, I don't have anything to offer. And Jesus is saying to you, the Spirit is saying, oh, yeah, you do. Like, you have me. What else do you need? If you're looking at that story through the lens of your life, maybe like the disciples, you're going to go send them away. And Jesus says, I'm bringing them to you for a reason. He's bringing them right into your life. You know that person that just gets on your nerves? Maybe that workmate that that you just can't hardly stand? Maybe that neighbor? What if you begin to see them? It's just God bringing them into your life so that you can do what? Cheesy as it may sound? Yeah, dispense hope to them. So I'm going to ask you to do three things uh, as we go, and we're going to wrap up. Number one, ask yourself this question. Who can you share your story with today? Is it a neighbor? Is it a workmate? Who can you share your story with today? Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's responding to a question that you have been asked. That's number one. Number two, how can you prepare yourself for the question? How can you prepare yourself? So reading the Bible, praying, meditating. How can you prepare yourself to respond to that question? And number three, what step can you take to be a dispenser of hope? Maybe that's a change in attitude. Maybe that's beginning to see your life as one huge opportunity to live out our life of hope before others. Those are my questions today, and we're going to pray in just just a moment. But let me tell you this. If you have a, a student from, I think it's um, uh, three years old, I think down here, right on through over at the children's, uh, Shelley's program over here. All the kids are getting these today. My present to you, haha, <laughs> parents. <laughs> you know, I know this candy is nasty, isn't it? It is. But every, every, every student is getting a Pez dispenser today. And here's what I'd like for you to do. Like, you don't have to promise, but I hope that you do this. Um, would, you, would you just talk to your kids about what this means? It's not just candy, right? It means that all of us, regardless of our age, can be what? Dispensers of hope. That's what that's about. So.